Hey now, and welcome to the City Off Campus podcast with your two favorite hosts, Sammy Sommerfeld and Jack McFarland. We've got a special guest today. We've got Paul Hembakitis, better known as Hembo of ESPN. He's a producer on the show Get Up. Um, so my first question for you is, what are your thoughts on football being played on a Wednesday? The Steelers-Ravens <laughs> game is currently underway. What are your thoughts? It's very bizarre. I feel like I feel like I'm watching the pinstripe bowl being played by NFL players. It's one of the weirder <laughs> things I've seen. I went back and looked it up this morning. There's only been there's only been one NFL game played on a Wednesday in the last uh, 60 years or so, and it was in 2012. You guys might recall when um, the Cowboys beat the Giants in Week One. It was on a Wednesday, as, as not to conflict with the Thursday um, Obama speech at the DNC, if I'm not mistaken. So we don't get to see this very often. So maybe in 60 years, uh, our uh, our grandchildren will get the opportunity to watch football on a Wednesday again as those uh, robots are going after it. But it's super weird, man. It feels like I'm watching a bowl game. So kind of just to go off with what you just said, you do a lot of searching for stats and facts that a lot of nuggets people don't know. Um, and with that, you do trivia battles with professional athletes. And I just saw one recently. <laughs> I saw one recently with Chase Utley, and he got every single one correct. Right. Yeah, now, I'm, right. Sure, I'm sure you dig very deep to find those questions to try and stump them. Has there been a time where you have completely stumped someone and they haven't gotten a single question? Correct. Uh, when I did, I did a trivia battle with Cal Ripken Jr. And he did not know nearly as much about himself as I thought he might, um, <laughs> which is, and it's funny because I, I grew up idolizing Ripken. And so I, like you said, like spent hours, like trying to find like the best nuggets to, and I figured a few of them might, might be layups, but he, like he, he much, be, he, he better remembered anecdotes and stories from his career and, and, and much less like um, statistics or, or things that like, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, think the same way that I do. My brain is very much geared in that way. So someone like Chase Utley, maybe it's because his career was more recent. I was surprised that he had everything so triggered, but ball players have the longest memories of any athletes for my money. So it's always interesting to get to know these guys a little bit and see what they remember and what they don't. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I was watching Get Up on Thanksgiving, and one interesting stat that you threw out there was about how about the I think it was the Lions quarterback. He played like twenty Thanksgiving games or something like that, and I thought that was just such a random stat or analytic. Like, how do you find <laughs> these type of random facts and stats? So that question was, uh, who has played the most games on Thanksgiving? The answer was Jason Hansen, who was a kicker. So that was sort of the sneaky part of that question. Oh. Like you, you want, I thought it was a quarterback um, and I was so confused. No, no, no. Jason Hansen was a kicker for like the Lions for like 20 years. And the, the sneaky part of that question naturally is that you wouldn't naturally, you wouldn't expect someone to guess a specialist as an answer to a trivia question. But um, I, I'm asked that question a lot because um, people are always curious how we do this every day. And it's, it's not always easy to every single day come up with a new question to try and stump somebody. But at this point, I've done it for so long that my brain just is, is geared in such a way that I sort of um, have my beats down in terms of my process. So it will usually start by, you know, uh, selecting from a few different topics that we might have on the show so that it sort of flows with what we have going on already. Like I wouldn't ask, a, I wouldn't ask like, you know, who, who hit the most home runs you know, over the last decade during the middle of the NBA finals, obviously. So I obviously gear my questions up you know, for whatever we're talking about that day. And what I've found is that most fun or interesting answers are usually when it's a, a star player, a quarterback, a coach, a team. But I've, I, I, don't, I don't like doing questions. I like doing questions more like that you have to figure out. Like if, if, I, if I asked you um, which active quarterback has won the most games in prime time, obviously you probably don't know, to, know that off the top of your head. So we'll see. So you, have, 
sure so you have to do a little uh process in your head by which to to guess that that's different from like who was the uh starting quarterback in super bowl 15 like that requires like very specific recall and whatnot so i train i try and always come up with something that you can guess by processing it in your head and spitting out something in an educated way because otherwise you're just sort of doing uh trivia in a way like it's Jeopardy or who wants to be a millionaire. And that's much less fun for the fan because I want to, I want to at least give you a chance to get it right. Even though you usually don't. <laughs> yeah. So talking about stumping people, um, what's like one of your favorite times you've stumped an analyst or athlete or on-air personality? So uh, I'm not sure how much you've seen, um, but my, my, my fiercest rival right now is Dan Graziano. Uh, our national uh, NFL insider. And we, when he's on the show, we generally go back and forth. So a couple of weeks ago, I came up with what I thought was just a phenomenal question. It was, who is the only quarterback to start for both the Buccaneers and the Saints? A very obscure, random question. And one of my harder ones, for sure. The idea here was like, it would be sort of like a, Hembo, that was too hard, you know, shame on you type thing. Um, he guessed Josh McCown because Josh McCown was, is a journeyman quarterback. He's played for practically, practically everybody and the answer was his brother Luke, Luke. <laughs> which was just the most satisfying payoff of all time so that was one where I definitely fist pumped at home a bunch that's awesome <laughs> so at the beginning of all of this you earned a role as an entry-level uh, researcher and what were some roles or tasks that you were given early on well I'm very impressed that you rifled through my LinkedIn page so bro, bro, kudos to you um, I, yeah, I was hired uh, like six years ago or so now um, as a as a researcher in the stats and information group. And when you start, they just sort of, you know, die, uh, you, you sort of have to just dive right in into learning how to find all sorts of stuff. So primarily your onboarding is like, here's how to find all these notes that you see on TV. And then based on your, you know, your preferences or your strengths or your knowledge base, you know, you sort of go from there. And most people have the opportunity to start uh, on SportsCenter naturally just because that's a variety of sports and then you sort of different, your, different, your, uh, differentiate yourself, excuse me, along the way. So for me, I did a little bit of baseball stuff early on. That's my favorite sport. I, I worked on some college basketball shows. I did an awful lot of sports centers. And it wasn't until I had the opportunity to go on Mike and Mike where I really sort of found a, a niche for myself. But those first few months at the company are vital, obviously, because if you start slowly, there's just so much to learn. There's so, and obviously, as you probably see it with some of these stats that I'll, I'll come up with, like, there's nothing stopping you, either of you guys from doing the same thing, but it, take, it takes months and months and months, and in my case, even years of, of sort of drilling myself into the best way to come up with this kind of stuff and uh, training your mind in such a way that you even know what to, where to start. So that, that sort of natural curiosity, I think, is probably the, the most important thing in being a good researcher, and that's something that you have to pretty much pick up on right away. So that was my experience early. You just briefly touched on Mike and Mike, and you had that opportunity to join it, and as a result, you had to wake up at like 3 a.m. What was working with the most or one of the most notorious duos in sports media like at the beginning of your career? Um, surreal, honestly. So I, like you guys, I'm sure, I grew up like huge sports fans. And I often listened to Mike and Mike going to school, like middle school, which I always reminded them of. And um, they hated that because <laughs> it showed their age. So I, that, that was the thing that we, that, we always, <laughs> that we always came back to. But that was fun because it really gave me an opportunity to, uh, to own something. And as the researcher on that show five days a week, I really felt like I was part of the family, you know, and that's, that's the coolest thing at ESPN. Like from my experience is getting, um, you know, being part of a, a small group in a show 
it, it has been such a rewarding experience because your work is so much is, is so valued and your ideas go noticed and it makes you really it, it, it makes you feel for me at least it was a, a really good opportunity for me to to showcase my skills and, and sort of gear all my stuff and funnel it right into this area, which is this four hour radio show that I was going to, you know, sort of invest everything in. So, and obviously those guys are legends. They were on the air for like 15 years before I got there. I was the, I researched the last show that they ever did. And it was, I mean, probably the most extraordinary uh, experience of my career in that sense, just because like there, I mean, a hundred years from now, people will know who Mike and Mike were. And I did thousands of shows with those guys. And some of the most fun I ever had was uh, some of these, some of these opportunities I had to travel to like the draft and the Super Bowl and the World Series and the All-Star Games and things of that nature. And to be sitting there doing live stuff while there's a big crowd and, you know, Greeny's rifling off my trivia questions in the break. Like that, that's the kind of thing that like, you know, when you're 15 years old and you're reading the paper on the way to school, like checking the Phillies box score from the night before, like you can't imagine your life will take you there. Um, but mine did. Yeah. Um, I grew up a huge Mike and Mike fan. My dad raised me on it. Um, and I actually had the opportunity to go to a show in Orlando for the 15th anniversary. Um, you were there, Disney okay. Springs. I was there with yeah. Chris Carter and I remember um, that Frank show. Caliendo. Yeah, all those guys. Um, so what is something you learned from working with Mike Greenberg? And what's something you took away from working with Golik? Um, it's a good question. So with, with Greenberg, who I obviously work with today still, I try and tailor all my statistics in such a way that they tell a story. So it's really easy to come up with a statistic that you might think is interesting or noteworthy, but in order to come up with a statistic that tells a story that on the radio could carry a segment or a show or a week, uh, it requires a lot more creativity. And the more and more I worked with, with those guys and, and Greeny in particular to this day, um, I have learned the best way to take cool information that I provide and package it in such a way that it can become larger than just a throwaway you know, note at the end of a segment. And instead can be a trivia question that could keep viewers or listeners uh, you know, on to the next break, or it could be something that could spawn or spark a whole conversation that could carry potentially hours of programming. So uh, I always tell people, think storytelling, don't think statistics because you can use numbers to tell stories. And Golik, I had so much fun with because he loved the history of sports. And what I would do, some of the most cherished moments I have with him are the ones really early on in the, uh, in the morning when it's just he and I in the studio and we're coming up with fun stuff to prepare. So, my, you know, for example, if, if the, I think it was in 2016 when the Indians went to the World Series, they were doing stuff that had not been done since before the modern era. And there was a team like in the 1880s that had done something and we were rifling through their roster and they had a player named Buttercup Dickerson and, and like, you know, legendary baseball names like that. So that stuff is fun. And sports fans like, like, you know, think that stuff is fun. It's just, you know, one, you know, one example, but like th those kinds of things, you could do four hours of like excellent analysis when it comes to the world of sports. And then you might have a fun little throwaway segment where you're making fun of players names on the, you know, 1885 giants, like high pockets, Kelly, or, you know, that he just, you know, cannonball titcomb or, you know, there's a, there's a million. Fun there's no way like, every name that you just said is an actual name oil can void. I could go on forever, but those things are, are what sports fans want in the morning, right? People want to be entertained. People want to, people want to laugh. So it's not just about that hard hitting analysis. And I don't think anybody I've worked with did a better, better job of Golik at bringing sort of that fun side of sports to life. Yeah, that's really cool. So with stats and finding these obscure names and things like that from doing get up in the morning or being on a podcast or being on a radio show, 
Um, how do you make sure you don't reuse stats and information that you might have used, you know, even a week ago or a year ago? I don't worry about that. I don't. I reuse all of my information. So what, what I might find is on a Monday morning, Dan Orlovsky might say something in our, in our meeting that strikes me as interesting. Like, for example, this Monday he said, I don't think the Buccaneers are using play action enough. I thought that's interesting. So I have a way to look that up naturally. So what I found was that on Monday – excuse me, on Sunday, the uh, Chiefs used play action against them 17 times and the Bucs only used play action five times. And on those throws, he went four or five for 83 yards. I went back and looked. The Bucs are ranked they were 30th this year in play action frequency. Um, during the previous few seasons in New England, the Patriots did that much more often. Tom Brady, I have as the number two play action quarterback in the league this season, but for some reason, they're not running play action. I'm using this as an example because you've heard that note 20 times on ESPN over the last week because – we came up with it on Monday and I sent it to everybody that would possibly want to use it. I'm a, an equal opportunity employer um, from that extent. So unless, a, unless someone asked me not to share a specific note, I will. There, there was a note last week I had on, on get up about how Carson Wentz is holding onto the ball for too long. He's taking, he's taking way more sacks on extended dropbacks, you know, four plus seconds after the snap than any quarterback in the NFL. It made it on to get up and it made its way onto the Monday night football bro- broadcast because I texted Lewis Riddick and he thought that was interesting. So I don't worry about you reusing stuff at all. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if it's good, um, we'll use it all the time. How many times have you heard someone say Stan Muser had the same number of hits at home as he had on the road? How many times have you heard people talk about Ted Williams batting average in 1941 or that yeah. Will Chamberlain averaged 50 and 25 in 1962? Like those, if, if a stat is good, you can hear it a million times and not care, just like watching a good movie. Has there ever been a time on any show that you've produced, whether it's podcast, whatever, or let's just say specifically get up where you guys usually coordinate beforehand and get graphics um, prepared and everything with what people are going to talk about. Has there ever been a time where you were just blindsided by a topic or somewhere that someone had gone and you just were not prepared with a graphic or are you guys <laughs> usually on the same page? Um, that happened a lot more on the radio show because there was like for a four hour radio show, it's like a free flowing conversation. Most television is, is pretty, scripted so what i can say is that my experience doing doing radio though has trained me to be able to think quickly so there are times on get up i don't know how often you guys watch but like on the bottom right of the screen sometimes i'll pop stats like during the middle of conversations right i don't always have those prepared in advance right so sometimes like let's say ryan clark says something cool about how uh tom brady leads the nfl in touchdown passes from a clean pocket because he heard it on the broadcast or something well, 20 seconds later, I have the ability to pop that note on the screen if it's, you know, if I want to confirm it or, you know, or something of its kind to add to the conversation. It doesn't necessarily have to all be scripted. So that's, you know, one of the fun parts of our show is that I feel like I can contribute value in that way and be an active listener and pop stuff onto the screen that might, you know, uh, supplement the conversation, even if it wasn't in the rundown or planned in advance. But that's just how we roll. Mike Greenberg said um, he sees a future in a baseball front office for you. Um, in hypothetical terms, would you be the kind of GM to pay Bryce Harper $300 million or <laughs> would you opt to the Moneyball farm system approach? Um, I mean, I think the best front office is now thread the needle there. I mean, my dream job is to play shortstop for the Phillies. It's unlikely at this point, given the fact that um, I can't really hit or throw and, and I'm, I'm, I'm already 30, so I'm probably past my prime. Although I did rake in the ESPN intramural softball league, if we're going to just be honest about this. Um, as far as being a general manager, you didn't even ask me about my playing career, but for some reason I still said that ridiculously, <laughs> ridiculously self-serving. Who'd as you hit it the, off of at ESPN? 
What'd you say? <laughs> who'd you who'd you hit off of at ESPN? Oh, I mean other guys that work like in production. Like it wasn't like uh, okay. it's like it's not like I was like taking Dallas Braden deep, you know. So <laughs> that is that's for sure. But in all seriousness, the uh, as it relates to your GM question, because that's a question you asked. Um, I think the best GMs right now are the ones that thread the needle. So on one hand, you know, the Phillies were, you know, really sort of irresponsible financially over the last few years um, in an effort to win now. And I get that. On the other hand, you have teams like the Pirates and the Tigers who are, uh, for all intents and purposes, tanking and always rebuilding towards a future that usually never arrives. I think the right now the, the best front offices are the ones that can thread the needle, the ones that can spend a lot of money and invest in scouting and player development because there's never been a more sure way to get good at baseball, for example, than, than to do that. There's never been there, – like that has never been a strategy that has not worked. Uh, we've seen a million times teams overspending and, or picking the wrong people in free agency or via trade and bloating their uh, ability to, to spend money elsewhere where, you know, they might need. So uh, in sort of a roundabout way, I think the best organizations are the ones that can thread the needle. They can scout, scout and draft their own people, and they can fill in on the margins. And I think the team that does that right now better than any is the Dodgers. And that's sort of, that's sort of odd to say because they did just give Mookie Betts $365 million. But most of those guys that they just won the World Series with are homegrown players. And there's a lot of value in that. So being a Phillies fan, are you an Eagles fan as well? Yes, unfortunately. Okay, so I have to ask just to follow up <laughs> the, the whole Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts thing. As a fan, what would you like to see? As a fan, I would like to see Jalen Hurts play because um, because Jalen Hurts deserves an opportunity at this point. Now, I don't know if he's proven that in practice. I'm not there. But what I have seen is uh, whatever it is now, 12 games of data that tells us that Carson Wentz is not good enough right now. And given the fact that you're still in the division race, it seems obvious to me that you at least might opt for something that you know might or could work because now we have 12 games to say that this does not. That isn't to say that Carson is broken long term, but it is to say that you just invested a second round pick in a quarterback who is one of the more accomplished in the history of college football, who demonstrated considerable growth a senior year at Oklahoma as a passer, who theoretically could run RPO in Doug Peterson's offense in a way that Carson Wentz just can't, in a way that Nick Foles did. So for my money, seeing Jalen Hurts uh, is vital right now, considering the Eagles might be entering an offseason in which their future is very much in peril. And if you haven't seen him play meaningful snaps, I think you're doing a disservice to yourself. I understand the reasons why you wouldn't want to uh, put him in now. I get the politics of it. But honestly, I think you're doing your team a disservice by you know, leaving, leaving him as an option on the bench because Carson Wentz is the reason you're losing now. He's not just a quarterback that you can win with. He's right now the reason that you're losing, or at least in large part. That isn't to say that the supporting cast around him has done their job because they've not. But all these things can be true at once, right? All those things can be true at once. The play calling can stink. The players around Carson Wentz can stink. The protection can stink. But ultimately, Carson Wentz has not, uh, has not elevated the play of his teammates, and that's what you expect quarterbacks to do that make $100 million. That point you just made right at the end about the supporting cast not necessarily helping the team, but everyone always looks to the quarterback to try and elevate the play. Being a Bears fan, Sam and I both have really understood that meaning completely this season. And you just said Nick Foles was effective at running RPOs in Philadelphia. I wish he could be effective at anything here in Chicago. Um, this question's more catered to the Mitch Trubisky truthers in the world. I'm sure in your time, you've seen plenty of stats that say Mitch isn't the answer. Is there any that you could, you have or know off the top of your head that could silence some of these Mitch Trubisky truthers that still swear to God that he had a good game against Green Bay, that these next four or five games are going to be 
like a, a, a fire was lit up underneath his ass. Um, I mean, Mitchell Trubisky ranked third in QBR in 2018, the year that the Bears went 12 and four, won the division, and you know, we're a double doink away from advancing in the playoffs. So we know that's in his bag, but we also, a year before, saw Nick Foles lead a team to the Super Bowl, and the next year beat Mitchell Trubisky in that game. Uh, one of the greatest I've ever seen, selfishly. But the answer to your question is no. Like, they're, they're, the Bears don't have their future quarterback on their roster. I do think that Mitchell Trubisky has a skill set that some shrewd offensive mind might be able to get something out of maybe league average quarterback play. Like you can't tell me if he wasn't playing for the Rams or the 49ers or the chiefs, for example, like that he still couldn't produce at, at, I don't know, a league average level. Like he's super athletic. He's got some arm talent uh, and he has shown that he can play that position at a high level, mostly because of his legs. Right. I mean, he wasn't, he, he, he was just an average thrower in 2018, but he could really move the ball with his legs. So that's really the, the offense the Bears should be running, honestly. The Bears should be running an offense similar to the one that Baltimore runs, in my opinion. Obviously, they don't have the backs to do it. But Mitchell Trubisky's number one skill is his ability to run, both on design and on scrambles. And that's that's the move. Uh, but, I mean, it's not – like the Bears, in all likelihood, don't have the quarterback of the future on their roster. They might not even have the, the head coach of the future there. And without the sort of young talent – uh, within the organization because in part you traded for Khalil Mack and Mitchell Trubisky and that was a pretty expensive expenditure I'm not sure that there's a team at least in the NFC position less favorably moving forward than the Bears although I think the Eagles are pretty close well I want to flip this back to the Eagles a couple of years prior they had to make the decision between keeping Foles or keeping Wentz and obviously we know what decision they made let's flip it back a couple of years what did you selfishly want in that move did you want Foles or did you just want the the uh what what am I trying to say the concrete feeling of knowing you have Wentz for whatever contract he has yeah I mean I I thought that re-signing that let let allow so people forget like Foles was a free agent they didn't trade him they didn't cut him like he was a free agent and he signed a deal I think that guaranteed him something like 50 million dollars in Jacksonville right way too much in hindsight lighting money on fire but Carson Wentz at that point had demonstrated that he was worth maybe not that contract, but something, you know, that was sort of uh, what the market was dictating at the time. Jared Goff exceeded his value like a few weeks later by like a couple million dollars. That's what, that's just how much it costs to pay your quarterback. I will say this though, now in hindsight, like what's, it's pretty clear that that 2017 season for Carson Wentz is a pretty significant outlier. If we're just going to be totally honest, if you blend his stats from his rookie year, plus the last three, you get, average quarterback play and that includes this year which uh i think you could argue he's been the worst quarterback in the league that has not been benched to be to be candid so that's that's where we netted out with him that isn't to say the eagles made the wrong decision at the time the contract though is very inflexible rendering it almost uh, impossible to move if you trade him you take a massive cap hit if you cut him it's even larger so for my money like the eagles quarterback predicament is very real and the fact that they have two makes it even more curious i don't know that the eagles misstepped there but it is clear that, I mean, ultimately, if he played well, if he if he kept being the player he was in 2017 or even 2018 to an extent, none of us would care because, you know, if you have if you have at least representative quarterback play, it doesn't much matter how much you're paying the guy. But not only are the Eagles not getting that, I mean, like I said, he's actively the biggest reason why they're struggling at the moment. So, you know, you drop a lot of stats very quickly. You know, when we switch over from baseball to football, you know, every sport – when you started off at ESPN or in, when you were kind of growing into your role, what was the hardest sport for you to learn more specific stats about or just get more interested in if it was a sport you didn't follow as closely? What, how did that kind of come about? I would, it's a good question. I had a pretty good head start on, on 
on baseball, obviously. Um, and I was a, a really big football fan growing up. So the NFL and thus college wasn't so hard either. I was always a really big uh, fan of the NBA, the 76ers, and particularly Allen Iverson when I was young. I was surprised how little I knew about the NBA and even more surprised with how hard it was to find. Um, for whatever reason, the resources on that side are just not quite as as easy for whatever reason, at least not for me. So even to this day, I struggle with my NBA research. I feel like if, if you gave, like, I feel like there are several people in our department that could rifle off better NBA stats than mine. I'm not sure how many people could, could, you know, do a better job with baseball. And there are probably only a few for, for football, but that's fine. Like you're not going to ever find someone who's an expert in, you know, 10 sports. It's a matter of, you know, knowing your lane and all, you know, improving as best you can around that and ensuring that whatever, uh, in my case, needs you know, that get up has, I'm able to provide that, right, the baseline there. And if I don't know the answer, the most important thing is to be able to find someone who does, because ultimately no one on TV cares how you got the know, right? So th there's all sorts of stuff that you might hear come from my mouth or from someone else's on our show that I might have gotten from someone else, but no one at home cares. The most important thing is that you're telling the smartest story. And if that is, if I'm the vehicle uh, by which to get there, then, then I'm all for it. That, that, that might sound a little bit selfish, but ultimately what matters is what, what, what makes air and how the sausage gets made to me doesn't much matter. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. So my final question for you is, um, you know, excelling in your role in the sports um, media industry, um, clearly you have a passion for it. And that probably has a lot to do with why you're able to be so good at your job and deliver so many facts and go so in depth. What other skills or traits do you think people who are coming up in the sports media industry need to have to excel? if they want to move up the ladder? Um, that's a loaded question. I would say, speaking for me personally, the most important thing in my development professionally has been just an unquenchable curiosity. Um, how, how do I find, how, like, so if I, if I see a colleague that, that sends a really good note, I don't know how to find it. I always follow up and ask them how, because there is nothing I, there is nothing that I, um, don't care to know how to do. I want to know how to do and find everything, even though my job as a producer now is produce just as much as it is to research. But having that, like having a constant desire for knowledge is a really important thing. It's really easy to settle, but like I have so far to go. If I'm still doing this in 10 years, I can have a much better conversation with you than I just had. And it would probably be much more impressive because of all the knowledge that I've built up. You got to start somewhere. And I think having that sort of natural curiosity for me has been super important. It's always vital that I know how to find whatever it is that I you know, on any given subject, want to as best I possibly can. And I'll go to whatever means necessary it is to, to find it. And it's also super important to be able to go on a sort of a, a, a dig or a search on your own, knowing that the end result might not be good. So for example, I noticed on Monday when I woke up that the Chiefs had the top two receivers in the league, uh, Hill and Kelsey. And I thought to myself, can't be that common that a certain team had both top receivers in the NFL, right? So 40 minutes later, I found that they find the answer. And it wasn't that satisfactory, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. So spend the time and be as naturally curious as you possibly can be. This persistence that you're describing the past two, three minutes, I feel like is part of the reason why Dan Orlovsky's described you as the weapon. What, <laughs> where did that ever come from? Well, I think it came from, um, like he, I think he describes me as such because I, like I said early, 
view numbers as an opportunity to tell stories, not as to, not as an opportunity to state facts. So what Dan likes uh, is that when he sees something on film, he can marry it to a number I provide, and all of a sudden he's telling a story. That is a weapon. Like that is, I mean, in terms of you know our, our industry at least, it's obviously not a literal term. Um, although he probably likes to use one on me occasionally. That's, that's that's I view my numbers as as that as weapons as 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 a brick that Dan Orlovsky can hurl and you know of course uh, figuratively and make his point. So if Dan Orlovsky wants to make that play action point on Tom Brady, for example, like I did earlier, he has the weapon in his hand with which to do so. It's always a, um, a much better means of storytelling if you had that data to support your eye test. And when you can marry the two, it's the, it's the best that you could possibly do in this business. Sam, do you have any other questions? No, I'm good. This was great. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. So as Bears fans, I'll leave you with this. One of my favorite trivia questions of all time. I was in, I was the NFL draft. Was, there was the NFL draft in Chicago, right? Like 15 or 16? Yeah, like 16, yeah. In 2016, I was, I was there at the Cubby Bear, I think it was. And um, Greeny asked the question on air as our bump to break, which is the last team to lead the NFL in rushing and win the Super Bowl? Four minutes go by. He pays it off. You guys might know the answer. It's the 1985 Bears, Bears. and the place erupts. It's a great trivia question. And that was like my... I made it moment. <laughs> I mean, there's like 300, 300 drunk uh, Bears fans at 7.30 in the morning freaking out over this thing that I, you know, I probably spent 45 minutes trying to find when it probably only should have taken 10. But like that was like my, oh, I'm here moment. And now you guys have that trivia question by which to stump whomever you want if you don't, if they, if, unless, it's, uh, unless it's common knowledge over there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, of course, and to all of our listeners at home, if you guys want to listen to this podcast, go ahead and follow us on Good Pods, follow Sam and I on our individual accounts, see what we listen to. Uh, Like always, not the same time, same place. We will see you guys later.